Hi, my name is Ronnie Grayer, and this is the Monthly Safety Podcast for September of 2013. First, a little bit about me. I've been a Greyhound driver now for the past 22 years. I've been in the driver instructor program for the past eight, and I currently drive out of Syracuse, New York. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Welcome, new listeners. I'll give you more information about how to listen to and download previous episodes of the podcast at the end. But first, let's get into what we've got this month. I've got a lot of things to talk about, and I'm going to start off with the FMCSA. It's been a long, hot summer, and at the end of the summer, they're turning up the heat on the motor coach industry. This is from their site dated August 26, 2013, and it reads as follows. The U.S. Department of Transportation's Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, or FMCSA, has begun a two-week strike force of passenger bus safety inspections across the country. Part of the agency's motor coach safety initiative to remove high-risk buses and drivers from our roads. In addition to surprise inspections, investigators will also visit new bus companies to assess their levels of safety. Buses are a convenient, inexpensive way to travel, and we are committed to keeping them safe, said U.S. Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox. During this two-week crackdown, we are removing dangerous vehicles and drivers from our roads and ensuring that companies who make business of transporting passengers are also meeting the necessary safety standards. Law enforcement and specially trained investigators are inspecting buses for overall vehicle maintenance, including brakes, tires, and exhaust systems. They are also verifying driver qualifications and compliance with hours of service requirements. Companies found to be violating safety regulations could be put out of service. Aggressive strike force inspections help save lives on our roadways and protect people who travel by bus, said FMCSA Administrator Ann S. Farrow. Strong enforcement efforts will increase safety and reduce serious crashes that result in death and injury. Today's strike force is a complement to a broader, ongoing safety effort launched in April 2013 and is taking place in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and United States territories. That strike force, which included special training for 50 FMCSA safety inspectors and targets the 250 highest risk carriers, has resulted in 18 bus companies being ordered out of service for safety violations. The agency has also revoked the operating authority of 10 additional bus companies following compliance review investigations that resulted in an unsatisfactory safety rating. As part of the effort, FMCSA launched a Safer Bus mobile app to give bus riders a quick and free way to review a bus company's safety record before buying a ticket or booking roof travel. The Safer Bus app, available for iPhone, iPad, and Android phone users, can be downloaded for free by visiting the FMCSA's Look Before You Book webpage. FMCSA urges consumers and whistleblowers to report any unsafe bus company, vehicle, or driver to the agency through a toll-free hotline at one 888 D-O-T-S-A-F-T, or safety, or to FMCSA's Consumer Complaint website, which can be found on their site. A lot of good information on the FMCSA website, and I encourage you to go there. A topic that's very important, and we've talked about several times on the podcast over and over again, are pre-trip and post-trip inspections. And recently, the company distributed a handy reminder card to the drivers uh, in their mailboxes that says, are you ready to perform a pre-trip inspection? Did you know that federal regulations and company policy require drivers to perform pre- and post-trip inspections? And it's got some items on the back of that card to help you remember what to do in terms of a pre-trip. Along with that, uh, recently in the window seat company newsletter dated July and August 2013, 
Bill Blankenship also addressed the issue. Bill Blankenship, of course, our chief operating officer, and I'd like to read from that column now. It's entitled, Are You Ready? As we continue to transport customers through the busy summer travel season, it is important that we are ready for all aspects of a customer's travel experience. For drivers, this begins with performing proper pre-trip and post-trip inspections. Federal regulations and company policy require all drivers to perform both pre-trip and post-trip inspections. When our buses are on the ready line, there may be a tendency to consider the pre-trip inspection as unimportant since the bus was just serviced. However, this could result in a thorough inspection being overlooked and a proper pre-trip inspection not being conducted. The pre-trip inspection is the last chance to find and correct problems before a driver sets out on the highway to safely transport customers. All required pre-trip inspection items are important, however several are critical and deserve careful attention. Drivers should always begin a pre-trip inspection with reviewing the previous M7 to ensure all safety items have been addressed and fixed. Specific information must be given to the air system, brake system, steering system, tires, wheels and rims, and lights and turn signals. Ensuring these items and others are working properly will help us keep customers and drivers safe while traveling. As for the post-trip inspection, drivers should make a notation on each item deficiency that has been found during a trip. These details should also be listed on the M7 and a post-trip checkoff of the bus as satisfactory or unsatisfactory must be made. The final thing a driver must do is sign off on the M7 with a signature at the bottom of the report. Following through on these standards plays a vital role in helping Greyhound keep people moving and communities prospering. It also assists us in being the industry leader for safety, a factor that gives many people peace of mind when choosing to ride with us when visiting family and friends. You are Greyhound, and the road to success begins with you being ready at all times, no matter what role you play within the company. And that again comes from Bill Blankenship, our COO, and we thank you for that, Bill. And just to add on to that, there was a memo from Myron Watkins, VP of Customer Experience, dated July 12th of 2013, that also focused on pre- and post-trip inspections, and I'll read from that briefly. As Greyhound continues its elevated focus on the safety of our employees and customers, we need to take the opportunity to reflect on the importance of both our pre- and post-trip inspections. These procedures are a DOT requirement for Greyhound as a commercial bus carrier and also for you, the coach operator. It is also your opportunity as a safety professional to identify and document that all safety criteria is met for each coach you are assigned. We cannot emphasize enough the value in properly documenting your inspections and identifying any and all safety concerns on the M7. The M7 provides our maintenance team with the ability to quickly review items identified as safety concerns and take steps to correct any potential deficiency. Only you know the real-time mechanical operation of the coach you have been assigned. As a true professional, we are asking each of you, our coach operators, to demonstrate that Greyhound employs the best drivers in the industry by committing to elevating your focus and attention on your pre-trip and post-trip inspections. Your commitment and dedication as a safe professional driver is what sets us apart from the rest of the industry. And of course, an important part of the pre-trip inspection is inspecting the tires on the coach. And that brings us to a topic that's come up recently, and that is retread tires. And there were several bulletins about this from the company, and I'm gonna read from one of them, and it talks about retread tires. The use of retread drive and tag tires at Greyhound is a responsible solution for meeting the challenge of maintaining a safe, reliable, and cost-efficient tire inventory. 
Retread Tire technology has evolved through the years to produce a dependable product while contributing to a better environment by recycling premium tire casing and reducing landfill waste. Greyhound has been engaged in retread tire evaluation for the past year, traveling thousands of miles in the most extreme conditions without failure. Our tire retreading policy far exceeds the industry standards, whereas only premium tire casings, which have not had any repairs, including small nail holes, are considered for retreading. It is also Greyhound's policy to abide by the DOT requirement, which clearly states retread tires cannot be installed on the front steer axle of a passenger bus or motor coach. There will be no exceptions to maintaining this policy. It is imperative all maintenance mechanics and drivers understand the importance of maintaining this policy and know how to identify a retread tire. So how can you tell if a tire is a retread or a non-retread tire? Retread tires are marked with an orange medallion on both the inner and outer sidewall. This clearly indicates the wheel positions where retread tires would be permitted to be installed and it will say drive tag only. What should you do if you discover a retread tire on the steering axle of your coach during the pre-trip inspection? Regardless of your location, call the maintenance response desk immediately to report the coach must be put out of service. The coach cannot remain in service until the front tire is replaced with a first-line non-retread tire. So again, when performing your pre-trip inspections, please be aware of the orange decal that says drive slash tag only and be sure that that is not installed on the front steering axle of the bus. If it is, that bus cannot move until that tire has been relocated and a proper first-line tire has been installed on that front axle. And along with that, let's talk about how to check your tread depth on your tires because that's a very important part of the tire inspection. And I'm going to read from this safe side bulletin entitled Checking Tires, and it was dated July of this year, 2013. Drivers are required to do a pre- and post-trip inspection of their bus, and this includes checking of the tires for wear, damage, deflation, and defects. According to driver rule G40, drivers should check the tires at tire checkpoints, meal and rest stops, and approximately every 150 miles. And if you don't have a tire tread depth gauge, you can use a quarter and a penny, and there is your tire tread depth checking tools. Now, we all know that the standards for tire tread depth are as follows. For the front tires, Greyhound requires a minimum of 630 seconds of an inch of tread, and the DOT requires four. So as long as the front tires are between four and six or higher, we are satisfactory. If that tire tread depth on the front tire falls below 430 seconds of an inch, that coach should not be on the road. And for the rear tires, the Greyhound standard is 430 seconds of an inch, and the DOT standard is two, so those rear tires must not be below 230 seconds of an inch of tread. But we're always going to look for that higher standard for Greyhound because if it's between the Greyhound and the DOT standard, that bus should be heading towards a maintenance facility so that the tires can be changed or rotated as needed. So we try to maintain that minimum Greyhound standard. Now to check for 630 seconds of an inch of tread, which would be in the front, you would place a penny into several tread grooves across the tire. If the top of the Lincoln Memorial is always covered by the tread, you have more then 630 seconds of tread depth remaining, or 630 seconds of an inch of tread depth remaining. Again, if that, if you put that penny in there upside down, and the top of the Lincoln Memorial is always covered by the tread, you have satisfactory tread depth in the front. Now for the rear, you place an upside down quarter uh, into the groove, and if part of Washington's head is always covered by the tread, you have more than 430 seconds, which is the Greyhound minimum for the rear, 
Again, putting that quarter in there upside down. If part of Washington's head is always covered by the tread, you have satisfactory tread depth. And along with that, be sure to turn those front wheels back and forth. Turn them first to the left and do your inspections, and then go ahead and turn the wheel the opposite way to the right. This allows you to check the tread area that is normally on the ground. You can, you can see up to about 65% of the tread if you turn them both ways. If you don't turn them, you're missing quite a bit, and that'll help you to see uh, flaws in the tire, objects lodged in there, any kind of damage, anything like that. So make it a point to turn those wheels back and forth as part of your pre-trip inspection when checking the front tire. Okay, here's a driver bulletin that came recently from the safety department, and it's entitled 100 PSI Brake Release Decal Notice. A 100 PSI brake release decal is being installed on the dashboard of each motor coach. A number of incidents have occurred when the brake components have been damaged or there was a thermal event because the park brake was not fully disengaged. Full park brake release may not be achieved when less than 100 PSI is indicated on the air pressure gauge. This partial application with the coach in motion will cause brake components to overheat. To remind drivers a minimum of 100 PSI must be available before releasing the park brake, a decal has been placed on the dashboard just above the brake pedal on all coaches. Remember that this decal is just a reminder and does not require you to, do, to perform any procedures beyond what you should already be doing. Note the coach cannot be operated and you must immediately notify maintenance or MRD if a minimum of 100 PSI cannot be maintained as needed to release the parking brake. Also when releasing the parking brake, always fully depress the brake pedal twice. If you have any questions regarding this, please notify your supervisor. And along with that, safe side from July of 2013, entitled Park Brake Release Procedures. Sometimes releasing the coach's parking brake is not as simple as it looks. Improperly released brakes will often result in a brake fire due to excessive friction between the brake shoes and the wheel. Brake fires can quickly spread to tires and the coach structure itself. Brake fires can be avoided simply by following the two steps necessary to properly release the parking brakes. With the service brake covered but not activated, push down the parking brake control knob, releasing the ICC parking brake. Make a full service brake application and hold it for a full second, then release the service brake. This should then fully release the coach's brakes. One way to check to see if the parking brakes are completely released is to let the idle speed move the bus after the parking brake control knob and service brakes have been fully depressed. Warning, if the bus is in gear and the bus doesn't move with just the idle speed, chances are that your brakes are not fully released. If this should happen, try the following. Pump the brake pedal until the air pressure gauge reads below 75 PSI, then operate the, aperture, the engine until air gauge reads 115 PSI. Make a normal service brake application and then release it, or repeat the entire process by pushing the parking brake control knob down and then make a full service brake application. Hold for a full second and release the service brake. In most cases, this should solve your problem with the uncooperative parking brake. If this does not work, please call MRD immediately and ask for assistance. Do not risk your safety or the safety of your passengers. Basically what we're saying is that sometimes you get a partial brake release if you don't perform the proper procedures, or even sometimes if you do. And if the brakes are partially released and they are partially dragging, you can get a fire. It can be a very serious thing very quickly. So make sure your brakes are released properly. And if for some reason you can't, or if they seem like they're dragging, contact maintenance for instructions. 
Okay, so we've been talking about pre-trip inspections, including tire inspections. Let's talk about the driver's daily log. And here's a reminder, an update from the safety department about the driver's daily log. DOT safety regulations part 395.8A1 require that all hours spent in each duty status be recorded for each day, especially all on-duty not driving situations. On-duty not driving time is all the time from the time a driver begins to work or is required to be in readiness to work until the time the driver is relieved from work and all responsibility for performing work. On-duty not driving time shall include all time on protection, all time spent in the course of roadside DOT inspections, all time pre-tripping and post-tripping your coach, DHOC or deadhead on cushion, prior to driving, if off-duty after the DHOC for eight or more hours, then the DHOC time is listed as off-duty, all time awaiting assistance or remaining in attendance upon a disabled coach, all time providing a breath sample or urine specimen, including travel time to and from the collection site in order to comply with drug and alcohol testing requirements in Part 382 of the FMCSSRs, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, performing any other work or training in the capacity, employ, or service of Greyhound, performing any compensated work for a company or person who is not a motor carrier, for example, a second non-driving job, must be recorded as on-duty, not driving time. Periods of time of less than 10 minutes may be kept on the on-duty, not driving line, but must be flagged in the remarks section of the log. What are some common questions regarding on-duty, not driving time? Must non-transportation related work for Greyhound be recorded as on-duty time? Yes. All work for Greyhound, whether compensated or not, must be recorded as on-duty not driving time. Is the time a driver spends attending safety meetings, ceremonies, celebrations, or other company-sponsored safety events recorded as on-duty not driving time? No. If the attendance is voluntary, then the time is recorded as off-duty. What about National Guard and Armed Forces Reserve training? A driver who is a member of the military service on an inactive duty status, such as a weekend drill or on an active duty status, such as annual training, need only log as on-duty not driving time, the time in which the driver is required to perform work, and off-duty that time when the driver is required or permitted to rest. If a driver experiences a delay on an impassable highway, should the time the driver is delayed be entered as driving or on-duty not driving time? The time must be entered as driving time Part 392.2 defines driving time as all time spent at the controls of a commercial motor vehicle in operation. If a driver is transported by another vehicle from the point of a breakdown to a terminal, how is the time recorded? And that time, of course, is recorded on duty, not driving. So that's a little bit about logs. And if you have questions about the logs, please don't hesitate to contact your local driver instructor, talk to your supervisor, Logs are an important topic. We want to make sure we're in compliance. We don't want to get caught at an inspection station and be out of compliance. Let's talk about distracted driving. Here's an information bulletin dated July 23rd of this year entitled, Doing the Right Thing Means Not Being a Distracted Driver. One of the main hazards that causes collisions on the highways are distracted drivers. More than not, these types of collisions result in death or serious injury and property damage. Distraction is anything that causes the driver's attention to be diverted from the primary job of operating the coach and responding to hazardous situations. To put it another way, distraction is anything that takes your eyes off the road, visual distraction, your mind off the road, cognitive distraction, or your hands off the wheel, manual distraction. 
So when you think about any function that can be a driving distraction, you are thinking about the functions that fit into more than one category. Eating is visual and manual. Listening to music or talking on the cell phone is cognitive and auditory distraction. A driver who is texting is 23, more, 23 times more likely to be involved in a crash than one who isn't texting, according to a study from the Virginia Tech Transportation Institution. It has been determined through studies on distracted driving that the average time drivers have their eyes off the road to send or read a text is 4.6 seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. However, texting isn't the only way a phone can distract you. When a driver is carrying on a conversation on the phone, it incorporates cognitive, auditory, and manual distractions. Using a cell phone, whether hands-free or handheld, requires the brain to multitask, a process that it is incapable of doing safely while driving. Using a hands-free phone still causes cognitive and auditory distractions that are best avoided altogether while driving. Doing the right thing means phone use should be reserved for a time when you are safely parked at a rest stop, parking lot, or safely parked off the road. Also remember that it's a Greyhound and First Group policy. Using an MP3 player, iPod, or other external music device is also a distraction and against Greyhound and First Group policy. Four types of distractions will affect drivers operating safety. Cognitive distractions to thought and concentration, auditory using your ears, visual using your eyes, and manual using your hands. Doing the right thing means you should always check tickets, route guides, and maps prior to departing, but if you have to check them en route, always pull over in a safe place before doing so. According to the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, in 2011, 3,331 people were killed in crashes involving a distracted driver. An additional 387,000 people were injured in motor vehicle crashes involving a distracted driver. On September 21, 2010, U.S. Transportation Secretary Ray LaHood kicked off the 2010 National Distracted Driving Summit by announcing a new anti-distracted driving regulations for commercial truck and bus driver, rail operators, and drivers transporting hazardous materials. Rules banning commercial bu bus and truck drivers from texting on the job and restricting train operators from using cell phones and other electronic devices while in the driver's seat were enacted as a law on September 21st of 2010. Stay safe by doing the right thing. And I believe I mentioned this in the last episode, but New York State has recently toughened the laws on distracted driving as it relates to uh, handheld cell phones and things like that, text messaging. But I wanted to read some other things here that New York incorporated into their law, including on October 28, 2013, a motor carrier must not allow or require their drivers to use mobile phones, portable electronic devices while driving. A mobile telephone used by a person operating a commercial motor vehicle shall not be deemed a hands-free mobile telephone when the driver dials or answers the mobile telephone by pressing more than a single button. And that's a distinction there. Even though you are allowed by law, but not by Greyhound and First Group, to use your phone with a hands-free device while driving, you are only permitted to press one button. So keep that in mind if you're fumbling around with your phone in your car. Commercial drivers are prohibited from making a phone call or using a portable electronic device while a vehicle is temporarily stationary because of a traffic, traffic control device, or other momentary delays. So that means if you are stomped at a light, you are not supposed to be fumbling with your phone. As an operator of a commercial motor vehicle who holds a mobile telephone to or in the immediate proximity of his or her ear while the vehicle is temporarily stationary because of traffic, a traffic control device, or momentary delays is also presumed to be engaged in a call. 
So if you are just holding your phone up for whatever reason, that is considered to be using the phone. That phone should not be in your hand while you're driving because both your hands should be involved in holding on to the steering wheel. An operator of a commercial motor vehicle who holds a portable electronic device in a conspicuous manner while such vehicle is temporarily stationary because of traffic, a traffic control device, or other momentary delays is presumed to be using the device. So again, New York State is saying that you should not be holding the phone while you're holding the steering wheel, and we all know that anyway. But I just wanted to read that to show you that it's not just Greyhound and First Group, and it's not just for a CMV. You shouldn't be using that phone. That phone is not that important. We made it without it for so long. So please don't use your phone while you're driving, but remember that it is against First Group and Greyhound policy, and all this is for the safety of both yourself and your passengers. Thank you. Okay, let's go to the news and talk about the FMCSA and the shutting down of several bus companies in the last several months. It's been a busy summer for the FMCSA's enforcement division. First uh, dated July 30th of this year, the FMCSA declared Lynette's limousine service to be an imminent hazard to public safety and ordered the company to immediately shut down. The USDOT's FMCSA has ordered Wilmington Mass-based Lynette's limousine to immediately cease all operations, declaring that its vehicles and drivers pose an imminent hazard to public safety. Lynette's limousine operates a fleet of 20 vehicles consisting of limousines, stretch limousines, specialty vans, a motor coach, and other vehicles for hire in interstate commerce. Passengers on limousines, vans, and buses, as well as every traveler on the road with them, deserve to reach their destination safely, said U.S. Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox. Companies that disregard basic rules and jeopardize safety will not be allowed to operate. The shutdown order announced today follows an investigation by a team of specially trained FMCSA safety investigators established in August to conduct intensified quick-strike investigations of high-risk passenger carriers. Federal investigators found that Lynette's limousine service failed to systematically and properly inspect, repair, or maintain its vehicles and allowed vehicles that had failed safety inspections to transport passengers. Investigators also found that company owners failed to monitor and ensure that its drivers complied with hours of service requirements, dispatched unqualified drivers to transport passengers, and failed to ensure drivers complied with controlled substances and alcohol use testing regulations. When it comes to safety, there is no cutting corners, said FMCSA Administrator A.N.S. Farrow. We will continue to take immediate action to shut down companies that put the traveling public at risk. Safety is paramount. And this action becomes the 15th out-of-service order issued by the FMCSA since the deployment in April of 2013 of more than 50 Operation Quick Strike safety investigators targeting high-risk passenger carriers. In the past three months, the FMCSA has also revoked the operating authority of nine additional bus companies following compliance review investigations that resulted in an unsatisfactory safety rating. Since the beginning of 2013, the FMCSA has issued out-of-service orders to a total of 22 bus companies and nine trucking companies. The agency has also declared seven commercial driver's license holders as imminent hazards, blocking them from operating in interstate commerce. Yikes. Now, we've talked about uh, ghosting before on the podcast, and that is a practice where these curbside companies uh, will be shut down by the FMCSA and will reopen under another name where they sometimes just change one letter in their name even. It's so obvious that it's just frustrating. And these companies will, that's why these buses are painted white, 
because all they have to do is just change the name on the bus and they're ready to go. So let me read a couple of releases here that really highlight this serious issue. Uh, this is dated August 14th of 2013. FMCSA shuts down New York-based All Nations Coach Incorporated. The Staten Island carrier was a reincarnation of another company ordered shut down in 2012. The USDOT's FMCSA today announced that Staten Island, New York-based All Nations Coach Incorporated, one of two unrelated bus companies that had stranded New York City-bound passengers in Virginia following a mechanical breakdown last month, had its operating authority revoked for violation of federal safety regulations. The company was served with the federal orders July 1, 2013. There is no place on our highways and roads for bus operators who disregard safety, said U.S. Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox. Passengers should be able to trust that the company they use will be able to get them to their destination in a safe and timely manner. In June 2013, a team of specially trained FMCSA safety investigators launched an investigation of All Nations Coach, which operated 16 motor coaches and provided passenger service in the eastern U.S. On July 1, 2013, FMCSA ordered All Nations Coach to provide evidence that it was not a reincarnation of Tichy Express Incorporated, which had been placed out of service by the FMCSA in 2012 for multiple violations of federal safety regulations and for failure to pay $5,400 assessed in civil penalties. All Nations Coach was given 21 days to petition for an administrative review of the FMCSA's order. On July 16, 2013, an all-nations coach motor coach traveling from Charlotte, North Carolina to New York City broke down along Interstate 95 in Caroline County, Virginia at approximately 12 a.m. 53 passengers were later transported to a truck stop by state and local authorities where they waited approximately 24 hours for a replacement motor coach to arrive. On July 22, 2013, FMCSA executed its out-of-service and records consolidation order and the Federal Operating Authority of All-Nations Coach was revoked. Bus or truck companies cannot dismiss federal safety obligations, including civil penalties, by simply reinventing themselves and operating under a new name, said FMCSA Administrator Ann S. Farrow. Companies that attempt this and will be found out and shut down. They will not be allowed to continue to disregard safety rules and potentially put every traveler on our highways and roads at risk. This action becomes the 16th out-of-service order issued by the FMCSA since deployment of April of 2013 of more than 50 Operation Quick Strike safety investigators targeting high-risk passenger carriers. Finally, to expand on that, I'm going to read a news item uh, about that from the AP. And it reads as follows. A New York City bus line that had stranded 53 passengers at the Flying J truck stop in Caroline County for 24 hours has been closed by federal authorities. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration says it shut down Staten Island-based All Nations Coach after discovering it was a reincarnation of another company shut down a year earlier for safety violations. The agency says All Nations had the same owners, drivers, routes, managers, and vehicles as the previously closed Tichy Express. The investigation was already underway when an All Nations bus traveling from Charlotte, North Carolina to New York broke down at midnight on I-95 near the Carmel Church Bowling Green exit last month. Replacement transportation didn't arrive until the following night. All Nations owner Ariana Dilla denied there was any subterfuge. She said she did everything she could to help the stranded passengers. Well, that's all we've got for this month. I think we've covered quite a bit of ground. And uh, I'd like to say that if you would like to listen to or download previous episodes of the podcast, you can do that by visiting the website. And the easiest way to do that is to send me an email at Ronnie 
13211 at gmail.com, R-O-N-N-I-E, 13211 at gmail.com, and I will send you a link to the site where you can listen to or download previous episodes of the podcast. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, you have comments, concerns, I'd love to get email, feel free to send that to me at the same address. And on the site, you have access to the entire podcast series, which has begun three and a half years ago. I began this in uh, the spring of 2010. So I encourage you to access those previous episodes. So until we speak again, I want everyone to have a safe and pleasant trip, and I look forward to seeing you in October. Thank you.